Welcome to Living Social Justice Podcast, an initiative of Common Ground Church and Common Good, where we explore our lifestyle response to topics of social justice. Our hope is that a growing number of Christ followers begin to individually and collectively live out justice, creating a groundswell of positive change in our society. Hello, I'm Sharon Kloppers from the Common Good team, and today we are going to hit another episode of the Living Social Justice series. Um, Ruth Lundy is with me today. Ruth, thank you so much for giving up your time and for coming to share something of the journey that you're on in terms of our early life space of Common Good. Cool. Thank you for having me. Um, okay, so this series is um, specifically trying to help us as Christ followers think through our own lifestyle responses to social justice issues in our city, in our country, um, and particularly in our faith. And Ruth, um, as common good, we've got our triple E strategy and early life is one of those big E's. Mm. And you've been doing amazing research with your team on um, this early life space and particularly the role of the church. Mm. So um, I'd love to explore that topic a bit with you and just particularly for people listening in to give them a bit of an a doorway of insights, some insight into what is this area and why is it even an area of injustice? Why should the church care? Why should the church be responding in this space? And uh, what is the actual problem and what can we do about it? So, um, yeah, just maybe let's jump straight in. Um, so your research team have been looking specifically at the question of what is the role of the local church in response to First Thousand Days? Mm -hmm. um, why? Why that question and why the need for research? Okay, so first let me start with what is the First Thousand Days? Yes. Um, so the First Thousand Days is a concept is looking at from pregnancy, from conception, all the way through to a child's second birthday. And if you add up those days, you get to a thousand days. And so we refer to the first thousand days looking at that specific period of life. Um, our early life team started in 2014 when we started working with Cape Town Embrace and True North in Freigrund. And we started looking at how do we support mothers in this early stage of pregnancy and newborn baby. And through that journey, we realized that we had some questions. When we reviewed what we had done, we saw success, we saw change, but we had some big questions. And our big question was, where's the local church? What role does the local church have in this space? And so in 2017, we embarked on a research project to try and unpack and explore what is the specific role of the local church in Cape Town in supporting the first thousand days of a child's life. Um, okay, so what's interesting to me is that first thousand days concept. I mean, we often separate out, we explore pregnancy, and that's very much about the mother, mm -hmm. and then we explore kind of um, newborn stage, and that's very much about the baby, whereas you're actually looking at that baby's life and understanding that what happens from conception even in utero has a significant impact on that baby's trajectory in life. Maybe yeah. just speak into that a bit. So science is exploding in the space. Neuroscience, we're seeing that um, the child's brain is rapidly growing. 80% of our adult brain size is developed in this first, first thousand days. 
um, and the foundations for all growth and development are placed in this time. So the neural development that is taking place, the pathways, the architecture of the brain is being set in this time. And so hence it is such a critical window of development um, and a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to really lay down a good foundation for the child that sets them up for success later on in life. Uh, and hence the emphasis on looking at this phase of what is happening in this first part of our lives from the beginning into the f second birthday. That's amazing. So I, I've attended one of your feedback events. Mm. So you're now doing a roadshow mm. of five events. Um, I'm sure you pretty exhausted. Um, mm. So trying to give feedback on the research that you've, mm. that you've done. And I think one of the things that shocked me the most um, was just how you spoke about the negative impact that different things can have on those first thousand days. Mm. And just realizing for me as um, a mother of four children, I've been pregnant four times, that period of my life, I don't associate it with an injustice or um, something traumatic or mm. negative. Mm. It was a very positive time of my life. Mm. And, and even just my memories of that time and what my husband and I um, dreamt uh, motherhood and fatherhood was going to be, mm. the, the stresses involved were almost minor compared to some of the the factors that you brought up at the at that feedback event. I'd love you to explore that with us. What are the negative factors that impact children's lives in the first mm. thousand days? And mm. actually, those have nothing to do with them. It's all external factors that they become victims of. Mm. Um, mm. Just help us unpack that. So to understand that a little bit more we need to understand what's happening in the brain we realize that in this period of time the brains are growing so quickly and the we talk about brain plasticity which means the brain's ability to learn and grow um, f and change over this time is so high so if i give an example i give that my daughter is learning how to speak spanish and can say muy bien papa and she can count to 10 in spanish and I've been trying to learn Isikosa for so long, and I'm not getting it. Um, and so we see that, f just as an example of language development, that's peaking at the right. stage. Mm. And the brain is developing so fast, and the child's absorbing everything. Mm. And as adults, we do have brain plasticity. We can grow and develop and learn. Yeah, but it's nothing uh, like... But it's so hard. Yes. Um, and that thing. brain plasticity gives us a, a window of opportunity, but... It is also a bit of a double-edged sword is in the sense that it makes the brain vulnerable in the first thousand right. days to multiple factors that could actually undermine the brain development right. and stunt the brain development. And this has to do with what is happening in the environment around the child. Okay. And this is where we see some of the injustices happening. And So what are those negative factors? So statistically, we're seeing like 50% of children in South Africa are their brain development is being stunted by a number of factors. One of those factors we see is poverty. So poverty is a key indicator for child developmental outcomes. And the reason for this is because of the multiple adversities that a family living in poverty experience mm -hmm. and the child would experience in their first two years of life. Um, that there's a knock-on effect of multiple things like family stress um, in access to food being poor, access to resources, violence, abuse, and living in a community where resources and access are 
also a problem. These things impact on the family and they impact on the child's development. Um, Secondly, we see um, things like nutrition being a problem and malnutrition being a problem. So one in five children in South Africa experience um, stunting and this stunting is lifelong and irreversible due to poor nutrition in the first thousand days. Um, Children who are well-nourished, they fare better at school, they um, finish more grades at school, they do better with their peers, they even do better when they go to work one day, they earn more than children who have not been nourished well in the first thousand days. Um, Other factors are things like maternal depression. Um, Maternal depression, we see one in three women struggling with maternal depression, and this is regardless of socioeconomic status. Um, And so it's very common amongst women. The good news about maternal depression is it's completely treatable, and women don't need to suffer alone. Um, But it is a key risk factor because mom who is struggling with maternal depression is not able to really... Um, sh- her motivation is low. She's not really able to organize her life really well. She's not able to seek support and go out and say, I'm struggling. She's unlikely to access the clinic and get the necessary medical attention she needs. Um, and she's also struggles to emotionally engage and respond with her child, which has an impact on her sure. child's development. Um, other st- things that we see is stress, uh, toxic stress, violence, um, these are all things that impact negatively on the child's development. Uh, disruptive caregiving in, the, in that time. There's a multiple risk factors that can undermine the development that is taking place mm. at this time. And children who are in environments with multiple adversities and a caregiver that's not responsive, they are set up... Their, wi- their brains are wired to survive yes. and not to thrive. Okay. Um, and so this negatively impacts on their future with how they s- the amount of sc- how they do at school. Many of them end up dropping out of school and they're not able to fare as well as their peers who have had a better start. Mm. It's so great to hear you telling these stories, Ruth. I think for so many of us um, as Christians in the church, we live in such a bubble of our own mm. um kind of healthy sphere mm. that we we just aren't always aware of the multitude of people um similar life stage to us but mm. enduring very different circumstances and stresses and mm. environmental factors that mean um their lives and their children's lives are are developing totally differently mm. um and like you said it's, it's so many of these factors are totally preventable mm. or Treatable, like it's mm. not like change is impossible. Mm. It's not like these situations can't be turned around. Mm. Um, one of the other things that shocked me just in hearing your feedback was when you got to doing the literature review that actually there was so little literature on the church's response or what the church is doing, or even just theologically, um, what is the theology of mm. first thousand days? Maybe just. Mm. Help us understand that. Why? Why is there so little out there? So we asked ourselves a question of like, first thousand days is this massive opportunity to see significant change for children, for them, for mm. their future. And we're asking, what is the role of the church? And so we set out to do a literature review to understand what is the motivation for the church to get involved? And so we looked from a theological perspective, what is what do we have written around this space 
And as you correctly say, we actually find very little. Mm. Um, and we see that theologically children are marginalized in what we've written and what we have wow. about it. And we see a, we've, we've got quite a lot around um, baptism and christening and dedication and whether we should or shouldn't baptize to infants. Um, we've got a lot around abortion um, and those kind of topics. But we don't have anything really speaking into this window of pregnancy and the first two years of life looking at it its fullness right. um, and looking at it at all the different angles from a church what is the agency of that child and how do we disciple that child and how do we disciple their parents in that window we've got very little in that space so um i i've just been thinking so much about these podcast episodes and the topics that we are raising through these episodes mm. and realizing often a lot of the criticism or the the feedback we might get is that well this is not a topic for the church this is actually a topic for that that's a big social ill that's what, something that the government must mm. um must address or that's something that uh, society as a whole mm. needs to address why are we why are we grappling with this topic as a church mm. um but i loved what you put in the front of um just the the booklet that we got at the feedback events where it says um we're convinced that the church is uniquely positioned and equipped to make a significant impact in nurturing our children's full potential by supporting their development in the first thousand days of life mm. i love that recognizing that actually the church has a voice mm. to society mm. and the church has a role to play mm. so um help us explore that what what did you what have you found in mm. your research and what is the role that the church can play? Right. So um, we have, there's a lot that I could say in this, and I'm just going <laughs> to very lightly touch on it for our time. But we, um, we're saying that the church is uniquely positioned and equipped. Okay. That the church already has things in its hand that can support the first thousand days. From our findings, from what we looked at, we're saying that the church has assets. So part of our literature review around why should the church even engage with us, what is the church's mandate, we also looked at it from a social development perspective, and we see that the church has religious health assets or strengths and assets that it can use. So there's things that we already do as churches right. that we can use within this first thousand days space. Um, that can make a significant impact, that we don't have to add anything new, we don't have to add a different program, but we can use the current activities of the church to right. support this in a significant way. And that's not limited to well-resourced churches, no. that's because we are churches. Yes. Um, so that's, it, it means churches across our city, across our country, any across church. our globe. Any church can engage with Completely. these things. Beautiful. Um, and so we see that how can we as churches use what we have in our context to use those assets towards supporting the first thousand days and everybody we engaged with um, across churches across expertise across denominations um, they all said the church has a role wow. and this is really encouraging that mm. everybody agreed that the church has a part to play in the first right. thousand days and what excites me is that the church has such a macro footprint across society that you can go down almost any street and find a church mm. and mm. i imagine the church normalizing the first thousand days in our activities mm. and making this part of everything we do 
that it's on the agenda that when we talk about pre-marriage, when we talk about to our women's groups, when we talk to our teenagers, when we think about how we disciple young families, mm. we're thinking about some of the issues that are related to the first thousand days. And the macro scale of the church, it, it has a unique position in society that no other institution has. We have a trusted voice that can speak influence into families' lives, yeah. into individuals' lives, into communities, mm. that is different to a health clinic and it's different right. to what the government is able to do. And so we have a unique position in society to play a role in the space. Um, and there's m many things a church can do, but one of the key things that stood out is that all families need support. Right. Regardless of socioeconomic status. Mm. All families, all mothers, all fathers in this space, all caregivers in the space of those early years need support. They need a community coming around them and supporting them. Um, they need other caring adults to nurture them so that they can respond to the needs of their child. Right. Um, and so we see the church being able to play that role, that the church can support parents, that the church can come alongside parents and caregivers and just strengthen their hands so that they are able to provide for their children. Yeah. One of the things you highlighted was also around fathering. Mm. So not just the importance of mm. um, a father's role in a child's life, but also how the church maybe hasn't... Um, um, equipped fathers well enough or just that, that there's a there's potential for us to um, equip and resource mm. fathers to play their role more significantly mm. Uh, mm. tell us more about that so this is this was fascinating for me and this was a surprise for me as somebody who had a front seat to the research yes. too I when we think about the first thousand days and we think of pregnant mom I think the picture we originally so look at mm. is we see a mother mm. and we see a baby mm. And even, I think, when we went into the research, we had a bit of that bias of yes. mom and baby. And we had responses from experts and people that we spoke to saying the one thing the church can do is speak to fathers. Mm, that the one space that we have influence is, is speaking to men. Um, and we have a very sad situation where men are absent in families um, and that we are needing to do a lot more to engage with men and fathers and say this is an important space. And some of the literature I came across was speaking about how men are, do so much better individually if they're engaged with their children, that wow. it, it has so many benefits for them for mm. and developmental benefits for their child, that mm. there's so many wins to helping men engage in this space. And how are we speaking into fatherhood? Wow. And not just biological fathers, but other men in our community. How can they play that fathering role towards children and towards the families in our communities? And so this is a key area. At the same time, though, when we looked at what's existing and what's already out there, there's significant gaps internationally of how we engage with fathers. And so this is a major area where we need to look at and say, how do we be creative and innovative in the space? And how do we engage with men differently to how we engage with women in this space? Mm. And so there's a lot of space to engage um, innovatively and encourage people to think through how do we work with fathers? I suppose that's the blessing and curse of doing research, as it just highlights all the all the research gaps that still need to happen. Yeah, there's lots. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, in terms of what you found, you've spoken a bit about the role of the church, but one of the phrases that you kept using is this FTD-friendly church. Mm. Um, that actually, what if there's a space for churches to 
become first thousand day friendly churches. Mm-hmm. Okay, so what does that practically look like? Mm-hmm. If a common ground church says, hey, that sounds great. We want to be a first thousand day friendly church. Mm-hmm. What does that actually look like on a Sunday and during the week mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. for their families? Mm-hmm. So this is what we're imagining if. We imagine if all our churches were first thousand day friendly, where we've taken into consideration some of the barriers, some of the issues that are relevant to the space, and we've geared our churches to this. So somebody said, Ruth, do our churches have changing mats in our men's bathroom? You know, it's <laughs> kind of thinking through all of those little things and saying, how are we engaging with this topic? What Are we encouraging breastfeeding? Do we have mom's room? Do we have spaces for fathers? Are we supporting our families? How are we making this part of everything we do? Are we preaching about the topic? Mm. Does it impact our, the way what we do in small groups? Does it impact our mission as a church? Um, our day-to-day activities of the church, is it on the agenda of how we're discipling our little children, how we doing mission with our little children, right. how we're doing mission for our little children, and how are we allowing them to be agents of mission and doing mission by little children, that they also have a voice as image bearers of God, right. um, even though they might not be able to speak, are we seeing them as agents in the space? Um, and so there's, I, I, I picture there's multiple layers of how a church can be first thousand day friendly, but it's how are we getting this onto the radar that this is something important, that the way that we start at the beginning sets up the future for um, the children, for our community and for society at large, mm. that we have this opportunity to actually transform the way our society is working if we pay attention to this beginning. Um, I think it has lifestyle implications, it has culture implications for us as how do we engage in the space and even talking to some difficult topics like um, that this might bring up, that we engage with these topics. So if um, I was part of a church outside of Common Ground Mm -hmm. and I was hearing this podcast episode now and just thinking wow I'd love to get our church to engage a little bit more or to get hold of this research or to start a conversation Mm. what are the steps that they can take help walk me through if I was outside of common ground Mm. um, maybe in a a denominational church in a different city even how do I actually get my hands on the research and what are my next steps so our research is available on our website if anybody had to go to commongood.org.za and go to the early life page they would be able to download the research and I'd encourage people to engage with it at a first step um, read the conclusions chapter 10 and um, have a feel for it and people can engage at the different topics there's chapters that people can look at and try and unpack it and then say well what does this mean for us as a church Mm. Um, and we would hope that this would spark things in different churches in different ways and there's no Um, cookie-cutter approach that each church can engage with it according to their context. We as Common Good are looking at how do we support churches and equip churches and what tools and resources can we um, develop to assist churches along this journey. So they're welcome to engage with us too and say (coughs) we're interested, we're wanting to find out more and we can invite them along the journey Mm. um, and they can engage with us further. But I think at a first step, they need to just start to read and find out as much information as they can. And then I know you put a call out to all uh, theologians Mm. to uh, get their thinking caps on and Mm. their research um, pens out and and, and actually put pen to paper Mm. and and write some theological work that um, that the church can look to and, right. and can use as a foundation. 
So we realize that theology informs practice. Right. And if we want a first thousand day friendly church, we need to look at our theology. What mm. do we understand about this space? And how does the Bible inform the way we respond? Um, and so we are we, we need so much more thinking, thought leadership around how does our theology interact with the space. And so there's mm. such a gap for us there and for people to engage in research and to go further into the theology and to write about how the Bible speaks into the space. And I think there's such rich imagery of babies and the space that yes. we can engage with and saying, let's make it more practical, that it's not just about more baptism concrete, yes. and infant baptism, but that it's so much more than that. Right. Um, and so, yes, if people can do that, the more resources and the stuff we can have, the better. Mm. We, as Common Good, are also hoping to say, well, we've got the science, how do we interact that with the Bible? And yes. as we produce stuff, saying, how does this speak to the church context? Yes. How does it speak to what we, as a gospel-believing church, right. do and say? So I'm so excited, Ruth, just to see what happens over the next months and years as this goes from now research mm. to actual practice and, as you're saying, just equipping churches to respond mm. and become First Thousand Day friendly churches. Um, so thank you so much for just your time and mm. for helping us unpack this topic a bit more. Mm. Um, if people want to get hold of you specifically and to engage with how they could get involved, how do they get hold of you? They're welcome to email me um, at ruth.lundy at commongood.org.za. Um, they can, via the Common Good website, if they contact info, that will get passed on to If you've enjoyed this episode, subscribe to our channel, Living Social Justice, on Apple Podcasts and SoundCloud. You can also find more resources on our website, commongood.org.za including our Justice Journey courses, devotional content, and volunteer opportunities. Bye for now.